All right, Wednesdays, this is how we kickstart things around here. Another pet chat on the way. Uh, Cheryl Shaw, good afternoon. Thank you for coming up. Now, we're on brooch watch for you straight away. So what is that brooch? A little dog, what's he doing? He's sniffing. He's going to be able to tell you whether you're stressed or not. Oh, okay. So not not sniffing another dog's backside. That's not what he's doing. No, definitely not. <laughs> All right. And also, a big good afternoon to uh, Dr. David Tabbert, who will be here answering some of those uh, important pet questions today. Good afternoon, David. G'day, Mark. All right. So you're ready to answer everything, and whether it's a dog, a cat, a parrot, a I snake, am, I husband. Am, and I've been I've been told that uh, this show often gets com- confused with a comedy show. Is that right? Yeah. Do, do you think I'm that funny? No. Okay. <laughs> Let's stick to vetting. Let's stick to vetting. <laughs> Look a bit out of sorts today, mate. What's going on? You a bit, bit tired? What? No, I'm no, all right. All I, I, actually, I went for a swim down at Merriweather Beach. Water's beautiful. And if we do get time, I um, wanted to give people a heads up about what are the beach hazards for your pet this summer. <sighs> All right, well, look, uh, you know what? We've got some calls coming. We might have to... Uh, we'll go. Let's go to your beach hazards first, David. Oh, OK. Well, look, just before I start on that, I just wanted to mention we talked last week about um, tick serum shortage and uh, just emphasising to people, make sure you have your pets on tick preventatives. There's some very good ones because uh, we're in the uh, severe shortage and we may not be able to um, treat your dog with tick anti-serum if they do become affected. There are small supplies starting to dribble through. Um, we've got 18 bottles on order and we got two last week. So maybe that's starting to come back in. But back to the beach, there's a couple of things. We talk about this every summer. A um, few things. One is be careful. If A lot of people take their dogs to the beach, right? Lake, mm-hmm. ocean. Yeah, we've got some wonderful um, natural environments around us. But one of the things we see a lot of is dogs that pick up puffer fish. And if they just get them in their mouth, what happens is the puffer fish actually contains a toxin called tetrodotoxin that will paralyse your dog. Now, a lot of time it'll make them vomit, but even still, they're absorbing the toxin into their bloodstream. So it's the same toxin that, um, uh, you know, that um, people have in, in Japan. Oh, sorry, it's the same toxin. It's the same yeah. compound, I guess, uh, that people are having in Japan and where... Oh, I've lost the name of it, um, where they get numbing around their mouth. Yeah. yeah. But the same mm-hmm. thing happens with dogs here in Australia. The, so be careful of that. Stay away from dried, uh, dead or even um, freshly dead puffer fish on the beach. They're dangerous. All right, so we'll get into some more of that in a little bit. Good afternoon, Tracy at Karua. Your female lorikeet there is uh, laying a lot of eggs. What's happening, Tracy? <laughs> Um, yeah, so she has laid eggs. I've, I've only had her since April. I like stole her son-in-law. Um, and well, we thought it was a he, but obviously she laid eggs. And yeah. so I'm, I'm just worried that, like, um, she and she just wants to stay on them all day. I kept them with her for three weeks, and then, um, then I got rid of those eggs, and she's back to normal now. But she just, when she has those eggs, she like just lays on them all day crying and then only just comes out of her um, house to um, eat and then go to the toilet and then go back in. Yes, um, yep. And, um, um, but my daughter did say something about, you know, like it, it can kill her if she keeps laying eggs. Is that true? Um, well, if you don't do anything about it, yeah, it could certainly cause her... It, it, metabolically, laying eggs is incredible amount of energy and effort, right? Yeah. And it'll just completely drain uh, their metabolic systems. It changes the... 
uh, things like the bone density and kidney function and all of these sort of uh-huh. things. Look, I would say particularly because you've only got the one lorikeet, is that right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, I, wouldn't, I would take the eggs out straight away. Oh, um, okay, don't leave them for three weeks? No, 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 because okay. they're not going to hatch. Um, so all we're do- all you're doing is actually sustaining the the um, hormonal cycle that yeah. makes her really clucky on the eggs, and yeah. so what we want to do is actually take the eggs out. Um, I would probably also look at um, bumping up the calcium level in her diet. There are powders and um, some no, I've people. Got, I've got a little egg, uh, a little bell thing that's calcium. Yeah, so this is an inorganic form of calcium, right? It's usually okay. calcium carbonate. Um, okay. So you can get inorganic, but you can also get liquid supplements that are an organic form of calcium, and that's okay. absorbed a bit better. But birds are actually pretty good at metabolising that. So um, either way, I'd make sure you've got that leafy, uh, green leafy vegetables are also uh, another good source of calcium. Yeah. Um, if you also just make sure you, particularly with a lorikeet, we don't want to have any seed in their diet. Yeah, no, I'm very careful. The thing is, and this is, this is going to be one of my other questions, is because she is spoiled. Like, she, she doesn't live in a cage. She, yeah. like, um, and, and when I have to go out, I put her in, in I bought her this beautiful big cage, and she, she doesn't want to go in there because she's too spoiled. And she's, you know, goes to the toilet and she um, sleeps in a, in a breeding box in, in the cupboard to, at night time. about uh, the lollipops are which ones are those she eats the chopper chops she loves them oh okay we probably want to get away from those high sugar <laughs> treats yeah, <I> know. <laughs> let's let's um you can actually get lorikeet um mix okay that mixes up and a lot of people often mix it with um just water sometimes with juice but they'll even just take it dry and um yeah well that's what she has but that's all i'm worried about like i've got that proper um proper lorikeet mix yeah. And that, you know, but she, because I'm, because I've spoiled her, like, and given her what I eat, like Sultana brand or wheat bix or porridge, she, she won't eat that mix anymore. Yeah. She wants to eat the normal food. Yeah, we need to get a bit a little bit of discipline around her yeah. diet, and yeah. imp- I think you'll find a bit of a change once you take those eggs out. Don't let her sit on eggs. Give her the other thing is go out into the garden, get some. Uh, you know, there's some wonderful wattles and, and all sorts of flowers and so on. Yep. Get plenty of that in there as well and you need to lay off the human food that you've been giving us. So I think you'll get her back to health just with doing those things. All right, best of luck, Tracy, and your lorikeet. Good afternoon, Marie at Swansea. Your 11-year-old dog has a large number of warts, Marie. Yeah, yes, that's right. Thank you. Um He's a Shih Tzu cross, yep. and going back a bit, he had two or three warts, but lately he's just getting, um, they're just popping up everywhere. Yeah. Um, I Recently I went to the vet um, for his annual checkup and showed her, and she said, well, um, they can be cut out, but they were not cancerous. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. She said, though, if they change colour to bring him in. Yes, or if they're bleeding would be the other thing. It depends where they're located. So you said everywhere. Is that like head, legs, torso? Yeah. um, Yeah? All of those places. All of those places, okay. On the back of the mm, neck, um, uh, side of the head. There's even a new one just come up near his lip. Uh, foot, leg. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, we do see papillomavirus, which is probably what this is, papillomavirus um, infecting animals. Most of the time they don't really flare up that much, but that probably indicates the immune system is a little bit run down. Maybe that's an age-related thing. Maybe there's something else going on, and that's mm. you know what's allowed um, this to flare up. And, yes, on, on their own, they're probably not going to cause much worry. But if they're in the in a pressure point area or if they scratch them, then obviously they can get infected. Um, and, yeah, in those circumstances, I'd say definitely look into getting them removed. I'm just yeah. wondering whether, and it's something I'd need to check up on, whether I, I do remember in the past I've seen... And when I say past, I mean 30 or 40 years ago that, um, when was it, in horses, I think, um, we would get, or in cattle where we get this is you can actually grind up a sample of the uh, wart and that would create like an emulsification that would be uh, like a vaccine. But the problem with warts is the virus is sitting in the very, very top layer of the epidermis. And Mm so um, it, it... cause it's really kind of away from the body yeah so the immune system has a lot of trouble finding it and seeing it um Mm. so it may just be something that we live with and certainly making sure general health is good because as i mentioned about the immune system and i would pay attention if there's any areas that get fly blown is the other one that can happen um, or if they get injured or scratched or infected and yeah i i did accidentally Stupidly cut one the one on his leg, right? And I stopped it bleeding, and then he sort of licked it for a long time. Yeah, you'd need but to I'll, treat that as an open wound and speak to your vet about. You know, it yeah, might need a little bandage on it. Yeah, he did. He, well, since then he's sort of continued to lick it off and on. Yes, but um, it's not bleeding or anything. But, yeah, uh, I keep no, keep an eye on them, and certainly. Probably photograph them is another good idea because that way you can keep a track of them. And then, um, you know, in three months or whatever it is, you photograph them again and you can go, well, that one's the same, that one's different. And that'll make it easier to decide what to do with whether they need removing or so on. So I'd say get some photos and track them that way and keep in touch. Cheryl Shaw is here, of course, we'll be talking about uh, dogs and sniffing and smelling and all that sort of really cool stuff with Cheryl. Dr David is here also. And good afternoon, Lynn at Shortland. What's happening with your chihuahua, Lynn? I've got a little fella. He's only not quite two. He's got a habit of on his on his blanket, he'll lay down on them and then he'll sort of bite and pull it up into a peak between his paws, front paws. Then he'll lick it a little bit and then he'll bite it. And he's got all these little holes all over both of his blankets. He's very bored. That's, that's, that's bored. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've um, recently, as I said on the show last week, I've got 
two little puppies just come to the house and my goodness they keep you busy and they you I'm in the circumstance where they also keep themselves busy but um, not always in a good way but I noticed exactly what you're describing Lynn that uh, they'll just start chewing on the blanket to be honest I mean it's a normal behavior right they're they're just chewing is how they explore the world Um, they you know get it in between their mouth and then they know what the texture is and the taste and the smell and so on and ultimately it also probably feels pretty good for them it's you know repetitive activity and it's comforting and it keeps them occupied so the key here is distraction and diversion okay uh, he'll be he goes outside and comes back in, and I'll be sitting on the lounge, and he'll and I have his blanket on the lounge. Yeah. And he'll come in, he'll jump up on his lounge, and straight away start doing it. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you don't, if we don't want him to do it, otherwise he's going to shred. He's going to end up chewing through blanket after blanket over time, right? So yeah. we need to divert his attention when it's yeah. happening. Not not with a rousing on him or anything. We're not uh, smacking him. We're not doing with that. We just want to get his attention. If he responds, you can use a food treat in that circumstance because you've been able to get his attention and that means that you're more important than, uh, you know, the blanket or whatever it is. But you can't stop there. You'll He'll just go back to it. So you have to provide alternative distraction, which will be something more interactive, either... It, that's you and taking him for a walk or doing some obedience exercises or something like that. But, look, there's plenty of items, um, chew toys that are interactive. They can't be passive. They can't just yes. sit there. They have to be... That's do it then. Yes. That doesn't do it to anything else. It doesn't do it in any of his beds. Not hot tea. He's got a bed in nearly every room. But... Well, the other thing you can do, of course, is just take those away. And oh, then, okay. and, but again, if you do that, you need to have an alternative. You need to have another um, distractive um, and diverted activity. Yeah. Uh, and look, the ones that you can get is anything that would reward his behaviour with some food treats in it is, is going to be good because obviously yeah. it's encouraging his behaviour to chew on something else. Um, but, you know, most of the time you've just got to mix it up. You've got to find a number of different things. Uh, and I, I think it is something if you find that just doing that at home is not working for you, then I'd certainly be talking to a dog behaviour uh, trainer and working on a program that'll alter this behaviour over time. Because he's two, he's still going to learn, right? Yeah. But you don't want to be doing this when he's five or he's eight or he's ten. No. Okay, so let's get on to it now. Try those few things and if need be then certainly uh, speak to your veterinarian and they'll be able to put you in touch with a, a dog behaviour person.
And uh, Cheryl Shaw, you, you you started off this afternoon. You, you have the little brooch of the dog sniffing there, and that is exactly where you want to go today. So um, where are we heading with this today, okay. Cheryl? It's all about dogs knowing when humans are stressed. So there was a study recently that was carried out in the Queen's University at Belfast where they took dogs and people and they got the... Um, person, the human participant, to give some um, sweat and also for them to give some breath. And those little samples were used to uh, help the dogs understand how the person was reacting or the participant was reacting in certain exercises that they were doing. And what they got the human to do was to do um, problem-solving maths. And the dog would smell the human's um, sweat and their breath and that would indicate whether they were stressed. Now, interestingly, they would alert these um, researchers when the person was stressed. And David, you know, math sometimes can be really hard for some people. So, you know, this is where the elevated stress levels would come in and the dogs would be able to determine that this person was feeling stressed. One of the other interesting things about it was that the um, participants don't have to be known to the dog. So this is where it's going to be really great for like post-traumatic stress disorder when they're putting dogs with, with people like that that are really suffering from um, you know elevated anxiety. So there's been some wonderful research in it that you know it's going to go on um, to help these dogs, um, you know, help owners and, and, and carers that they're with um, and I just think that it's a great thing I mean the, the dog's nose we all know they've got a wonderful sense of, of smell and even from when I'm working with dogs if I've got a dog on the table often the dog will actually come forward and smell my breath have you experienced that David where a dog smells your breath or wants to get close and smell yes yeah, I, and I, I think I think we kind of misinterpret that, don't we? We think that oh, they just they want to kiss us, or it's a very human interpretation. Yes, yeah. We're but not thinking. We're not thinking of it from. We've got to think of it as the the dogs are the thinking dog. of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. And I've always thought that one of those things with the dog um, sniffing, I've always said, oh, you want to smell my breath, and I've always let the dog do it. Mm -hmm. And I tell my groomers, like they might be a dog that they're a little bit worried about, and I say, just let the dog smell your breath, and the dog will understand. And you've got to stay when you're obviously working with dogs cool, calm, collected and concentrated. But those dogs that we're working on, I've now realised that's all of that research, they're trying to work out whether we're feeling calm or whether we're stressed. And then they're reading us to know how they are going to react. So this research for me was really quite mind-blowing. I thought it was wonderful um, that they, they've come up with this. Yes, the sweat and the breath are the two things that the dogs are using. Cheryl, one of the big takeaways from that as well, as you mentioned, that it's not just for um, the dogs that the, or for people that the dogs have a relationship with, such as their owners. I mean, the fact that they're doing this with everybody, uh, the, the endless possibilities there, that, like you said, with, with uh, stress and dogs that can be used in that capacity as well. Yeah, and the other thing too, they're not looking for visual or audio clues. It's totally about their sense of smell. So I've always thought that dogs' noses were just so intriguing anyway, but knowing that they're taking in all this information from us as we are 
either getting stressed, our sweat is starting to change, the smells are different, our breath is different. So I just thought that was something worth sharing. So often people say, oh, my dog knows when I'm stressed, it comes and, and you know, supports me or comforts me. I was um, involved with Delta Society. I sponsored a dog named Harley who recently passed. But I went to watch Harley um, and in a couple of different situations. One was at a school where he was helping children um, with reading who were non-verbal, you know, very, very reserved. And the other one was at a place which was an age centre where they met for morning tea and lunch and did, you know, singing and activities. And Harley would work the room, I would call it. He would go around to either activity and work out who was just sitting there quietly and, you know, not not taking part and it was just so fascinating to watch him so now I'm wondering whether he was picking up the smells of these people whether they were feeling a bit stressed and whether he was just nuzzling into them you know it's just so intriguing Cheryl he may very well have been doing that that may very well have been what what uh, Harley was doing there David yeah absolutely and I think we've always talked about uh, body language as messaging towards the you know what are we showing up as to the dog but isn't it intriguing that the dogs actually can, even when we think we're appearing a certain way, mm-hmm. maybe those smells, the pheromones, etc., that we're giving off, the dogs are picking up as well. I think this has got incredible uh, implications across a whole range of areas. And I'm just thinking purely from my perspective is in the consult room when an owner brings their pet in, how I react and how I react with the dog. Sometimes they're really aggressive dogs. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, well, how does this research then inform what am I going to do in the consult room to stay calm and to uh, help the dog get calm as well? Do your best not to be stressed, David. That's the that's the key. Oh, that's my that's my <laughs> superpower, Mark. I'm, <laughs> superpower. <laughs> He's going to get a sh- get a shirt made, mate. That it's might funny, be the way. It's funny you should say that because I made these little stickers at one stage, putting on the old groomers' windows or, or their mirrors. Actually, it said, "Stay cool, calm, and collected," and that's what you've really got to do. You know, because your stress is going to be obviously alerted to the dog pretty quickly. So yeah, trying to get that um, calm, that that zen. All right, make sure you do that because otherwise uh, the dogs, I'll sniff it out of you anyway. (laughs) Now, Cheryl, I know whenever there's a brand new dog of the week, you kind of get pretty excited as the webpage opens up, don't you? Oh, this one's really cute as well. Mm. Beautiful markings. Now, now what do you reckon a uh, six-week-old Jack Russell Kelpie Cross named Onyx? Now, you were saying before that that David could have adopted Onyx, couldn't he? Yeah, just one dog instead of two. (laughs) He's never going to live that down. Cheryl always says one dog only. We've explained the reasons why. And what did David do, Cheryl? He went out and bought two. Uh, But I'm sure he's going to train them well and they'll... Yeah, yeah, and and he'll do the right thing because he understands. Of course. A work in progress. All right, so our Dog of the Week, yeah, that is uh, a thing up on the Pet Chat page at 2NURFM.com.au if you would love to adopt a uh, brand new dog. Onyx may be for you. Your typical cute, cuddly, loving, very playful, goofy, curious type of little fella there. Uh, Becoming pretty confident, enjoys running around outside, exploring, playing, wrestling with his siblings there. Loves being around the foster family as well. Now, as for toilet training, guys, he's still working on it. Okay, he uses the opened doggy door at the moment regularly so he can come and go as he needed. Uh, he's microchipped, had the verse vaccination and all of that. Needs a family committed to training, exercise, playing and lots of walks and also committed to continuing the toilet training. So 
Guys, is this the type of dog that's going to need um, a family that's really there all the time and give him that love, particularly with these with his early things he needs to come, overcome? Anybody? Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, this is just my story at the moment. It's exactly the same. So it does take a bit of work to start with, but the great thing is that you will be rewarded. Um, you know, a Jack Russell cross Kelpie, is a dog that's going to love exercise but also love its family as well. So I'm sure that um, Dog of the Week will be able to find, um, you know, someone's going to lob up and want to look after Onyx and give him all the love he deserves. All right, that sounds uh, pretty good. 49216216 uh, if you have a question for our team today. Uh, all right, next up. Oh, we'll have a chat to... Uh, no, we've done, we've done that one. No, nobody left. Okay, 49216216. About 60 seconds left if you have a question for our Pet Chat team today. David, I know you were talking yes. earlier on about uh, water hazards for some of the dogs and we everything talked, in pets. Yes, yes. We talked about uh, the um, puffer fish, but there are a few other things. And just because... Um, we're rapidly approaching that season. I thought we should remind people, of course, there's another one that's known. It's called sea hares. Sea hares, yeah. H-A-R-E-S, like rabbits. But they're definitely not. They're a, a um, mollusk without The a, rabbits of the sea. Mollusk without a shell. But they've got all these fronds on them, so they look like they've got big ears, right? And they actually um, are slightly toxic. They'll cause a stimulatory effect. So whereas your puffer fish causes paralysis, the sea hares cause, like, seizures. And they're the first time I ever saw one, I thought it was a dog that had eaten snail bait, but there's no snail bait in the ocean. It was actually sea hares so that's another one to look out for and stay away from them um when they're on the shore they're just like a brown or a blue blob on the beach they they don't look like anything so you may not recognize what they actually are to start with if your dog does have an interaction with the sea hare um blue bottles of course if we get an onshore breeze you may see blue bottles and pets can be stung by blue bottles just as much as um, we can, so be careful with that. The other thing that we've seen is salt water ingestion. A lot of, lot of dogs love to jump in the ocean or jump in the lake, of course, and in the process they can actually ingest a fair bit of salt water. Now, the interesting thing about salt water ingestion is that it's irritating to the gut. So the first thing that they'll do is they'll get vomiting and diarrhoea. So you think, okay, well, that's going to get most of it out of their body, which is actually what happens. That's how we don't see too many that progress to more severe illness. But if you actually do have salt water ingestion that causes more severe toxicity, it can cause brain swelling. So that's pretty nasty. And a lot of dogs, when they're chasing the ball, being thrown to oh, catch yeah. the ball, they'll ingest a lot more water catching the tennis ball or the ball in the water. David, years ago you mentioned razor... razor clams. Clams. Are they still around? Are they a problem? Yes. Yes, they are. Um, primarily because they're so sharp, they're shells. And so you're going to see some injuries to pets. So just be very careful on the, um, you know, the shallow water as well. Alright, a couple of things to look out there for. That's it for us today, guys. Thank you so much, Dr. Thanks, Dr. David Tabard and also Cheryl Shaw. Thank you.